Don and I, Don is not with me because I just brought a vehicle up. I'm going to fly back uh, in the morning. And uh, so I'm sorry that she can't be here right now, but maybe next time, you know, she would love to be here. And uh, there's uh, never can tell <clears throat> exactly when we will pop in. So there, there are a few things that draw us this way in Michigan. Um, now, I have to admit, I, I had a little bit of a double take because I left last week. I was in Orlando, Florida, and on Friday we were in Orlando and uh, in, a, in a conference down there for Ambassador Baptist College, and uh, so it's a little bit hard to leave Orlando and come to Michigan, you know, but at least no snow on the roads, it was great, you know, so you did, you did well. It's cool, but that's all right, and uh, I'm glad to be here uh, most definitely. Uh, this is starting our 44th year traveling in uh, music evangelism, and uh, so we uh, travel uh, normally uh, a lot of times with an evangelist. For many years, that's primarily what we did, was travel with an evangelist and do the music for revival meetings. The last three years, we've been a little more closely uh, related with Ambassador Baptist College. I spent a year there as interim music chairman, and then since then, we have done quite a bit of traveling with Dr. Alton Beal, the current president of Ambassador, and then uh, also we travel on our own to different things. In Orlando, we were in an educators' conference. The week before that, we were in uh, Tallahassee in a pastor's fellowship, and um, then uh, coming here uh, tonight, just as was a little side trip, uh, on uh, Sunday, we'll be in churches in uh, Tennessee, and starting Monday, we're in a pastor's fellowship representing the college at uh, the Wilds in North Carolina. And uh, then uh, we just take a quick little trip back up to Michigan to get a couple of grandkids and take them back home with us. And uh, <clears throat> so you can tell our, our life is just busy. You know, it's just busy. So pray for us uh, as you think to. We would appreciate that so much. Um, we're, we're at home for a week with, with the grandkids, and then we have a revival meeting in Virginia, in Hampton, Virginia, with Dr. Alton Beal. And uh, so we're going to pass the grandkids off to uh, a couple of other uh, folks, not just strangers. We're going to pass them off to our other son and daughter-in-law, Andrew and Kirsten. And I think uh, they're going to share them maybe with my other daughter, Amy, and her husband, Jeremy, during that week. And uh, so take care of the kids while uh, Aaron and Heidi are away for a little, a little while. And uh, they they think they're going to have a vacation, but I'm not so sure. I've heard this. I've, I, you know, they've been talking about this, about camping. And, you know, he's not in here, so I can say, you know, about what I want to. He'll never listen to it, right? But uh, they talked about camping. I mean, in March, in North, you know, I don't know. Okay, I, I said, that's fine if that that's uh, what, you know, what you'd like to do. And so uh, I, I'm hoping it's going to go very well but I think I'd rather be watching the grandkids in Tennessee myself. And, uh, but uh, pray for our ministry as you think, too. Thank you so much for the offering tonight. Don't know what that was, but it's always a blessing. God knows what it is. And uh, he's always met our needs year after year after year. And as I mentioned, beginning 44th year of uh, doing this and uh, full-time evangelism and then the last couple of years spending some more time uh, at Ambassador College. And uh, I hope you'll pray for Ambassador. Um, uh, we've, we're having a good year. 
it's, it's my goal to uh, kind of help increase the awareness of the college. And uh, I've told some folks, and I don't mind sharing it with you, I would like to, in about five years, be running about 200 uh, at, at Ambassador Baptist College. And that's going to take some work. And if you know anybody that's thinking about Bible training, send them our way. And I know you've sent several students. We really appreciate that and uh, the, the folks that we've gotten here uh, from Fostoria Baptist Church. Well, take your Bibles tonight, please, and turn to the book of Colossians. The book of Colossians. Being involved in music for many years, uh, of course, I have a real burden on my heart to uh, just help remind people to think biblically in the area of music. And as we think about that, uh, there's no better passage to start with than the book of Colossians and uh, chapter 3. We're going to be looking at chapter 3 in just a moment and uh, verse 16. One of the clearest uh, verses, I think, in the Bible about uh, what, how we should think about music. You know, in our day and time, music is kind of a volatile subject. Could I put it that way? Uh, there's a lot of differences of, of opinion. There are some churches that have what you would consider maybe more high church music, you know, and that's on one end of the spectrum. You can go to the other end of the spectrum and find churches that uh, sounds like, you know, they are at a, at a rock concert somewhere, uh, you know, with, with what they call Christian rock, etc. And uh, then you kind of have everything in between. And it has set up a climate somewhat of confusion about what is right and what is wrong. As a Christian, how do we decide that? You know, there are folks that claim to love God and believe the Bible, and yet they would be on this end of the spectrum. You know, if we, if we put, the, uh, you know, put the high church there. There are other people that claim to love God and believe the Bible, and uh, they're more toward this, this side of the spectrum. And there are folks that a lot of times you... You get to know them, and you say, well, they, they love God, you know. And they, so, you know, it has created a climate of confusion, I think, amongst Christians as to what is right. And so what we have to do is get back to the, what the Word of God says. And so tonight, I could give you my opinion all night long, but you'd be just as justified afterwards to come up to me and give you your opinion. Give me your, your opinion, you know, the rest of the night. But what we need as Christians is to look at the Word of God. Look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. The very first, very first phrase says, Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. So how do we get wisdom of any kind? It's through the Word of God. It's not by being an expert. You know, some people, I've, I've had pastors sometimes that would introduce me and say, well, Brother Doyle is going to speak about music tonight, and I'm glad that he does because he's been in, in it for so many years, and he knows all about music, etc., blah, 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 you know? And I appreciate the kind words, but it's not being an expert in something that brings wisdom. One of our favorite places to visit as a family is the Grand Canyon. We've been there quite often, I shouldn't probably say often, but quite a bit. I suppose I have hiked the Grand Canyon, uh, I need to count it up sometime, but close to 15 times. And uh, so we've enjoyed it through the years. Uh, in 40 years, you get through there every once in a while, you know. And so every time we got somewhere close uh, by the Grand Canyon, we would stop. 
And uh, you're bombarded whenever you're at the Grand Canyon with a lot of experts. And you've got these signs, you know, that uh, tell you how this Grand Canyon came into existence. Because here you have this huge canyon just kind of out in the middle of nowhere. There's a river running through, through the bottom. And uh, people are, you know, absolutely going to stop and think, well, how did this get here? You know? Well, the experts tell us. What do they tell us? Billions and billions of years ago, right? It always starts with that. I think when I was a kid, I first visited the Grand Canyon when I was about, about seven years of age. My family was taking a trip to California. My mother was from California, and we stopped by the Grand Canyon. And I think it was just, you know, like thousands of years ago then. And then they realized, no, this couldn't happen in thousands of years, and so let's put millions. I think now it's probably up to billions. I don't know. But all these signs, you know, that's what they start with billions and billions of years ago. Well, is that the way the Grand Canyon came into existence? The experts don't always have wisdom about it. I'm no expert, but I know how the Grand Canyon came into existence. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then we believe the Grand Canyon was polished off in the flood. Uh, the running waters from the flood can carve something very quickly in soft dirt. And uh, so it very, makes very much sense. I don't even have to be a geology expert or whatever. I just have to believe the Word of God because the Word of God is going to give wisdom. And the, God's wisdom says God created the heavens and earth. It wasn't evolution, you know. Uh, evolution, that's not how I got here by evolution. I heard a guy say the other day, you know, he, he said, have you ever thought, if, if we all evolved from apes, why are there still apes? It's kind of a good thought, isn't it? You know? But we didn't. God formed the, the man. God formed Adam, and he formed Eve. And we're told specifically about that. And we don't have to have a doctor's degree to realize how this world came into existence. We just have to believe the Bible. So we gain wisdom by the Word of God. And we gain wisdom in any area of our life. It's the same with music. You know, you don't have to have a Ph.D. in music composition in order to realize what is right and what is wrong in the area of music. You just have to believe the Bible. In verse 16, again, it says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. And it goes on to give us two different phrases here. It says, Teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Then it says, Singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And I'm going to take that first phrase, or the last phrase first, okay? Can we do that? And uh, speak about it in just a moment. Because I, what I want to examine first is the purpose of music. The Bible purpose of music. I call this the, the purpose principle. The purpose principle. You might say, well, brother, what's so important about knowing the purpose? You know, before you can evaluate anything, you need to know its purpose. If I'm watching a football game, I need to know what they're trying to accomplish before I can evaluate a player's performance, or a team's performance. Isn't that true? You know, uh, suppose, you know, I was watching a football game, and, uh, you know, I, I, I see that uh, there's, you know, 11 men lined up here, and 11 men lined up here, and people all over and everything, and this, suppose I don't know anything about it, you know, what they're supposed to be doing. 
And I see one guy's kind of behind the others. And about that time, the guy with the ball passed it to him. And I suppose he gets it. He gets the ball and he steps back. And all of a sudden, he puts the head on this shiny helmet. Or he puts the ball on this shiny helmet thing. And he starts spinning it, you know, like you do a basketball on your finger. And suppose he's there balancing it. And he's spinning that football. Now, if I didn't know what he was supposed to be doing, could I not be impressed with that? Sure. I mean, what dexterity, what, you know, what balance this guy has. He's up there spinning the football on top of his helmet. Uh, but is he doing a good job? Uh, obviously not. You know, about that time, the other team throws him for about a 30-yard loss, you know, as he's, as he's spinning the football on top of his head. So it is imperative that I know the purpose of something before I can evaluate it. If I know what he's supposed to be doing, I, along with you, would be sitting there saying, what is this doofus doing, you know? Why, why does he, he's just trying to, you know, throw the game right there, if we realize the purpose. And the same thing is true about music. Some people say, well, I like to listen to this kind of music, you know, or I like to listen to that kind of music, or whatever, because, you know, that's the kind of my grandma always listened to, or whatever, but they don't stop to realize, is this music that I am embracing, this music that I am accepting into my life, is it really fulfilling the Bible purpose of music? So what is the Bible purpose of music? As we look here at Colossians 3.16, it's very clearly laid out for us. The last phrase in verse 16 says, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. You know, the direction of, of music is in a different direction than most people think. Most people think it's all this way, you know. This is the kind of music I like. This is the kind of music I, you know, I, I feel good about, no. The Bible consistently says that our music is to praise, honor, and glorify God. It is all the way through the Scripture. We don't have time tonight because it's always a race for that clock when I'm talking about music. But uh, it, we, we could take time and look at the verses of, of Scripture, throughout Scripture, to see that time and time and time again, when the Bible talks about music, it talks about praising, honoring, and glorifying God. It says very little about how music affects us, even. The psalmist says uh, that it, that it brings, brings pleasure, but you, what brings pleasure? Praising God. He had just said that we were to praise God, and then he turns around and says, and it's pleasurable. It's pleasurable to praise God. Then uh, here we're going to see in just a minute the second, second reason how music can affect us. But primarily throughout the Word of God as you read, and I'll challenge you, if you're, if you're interested in this subject, take a concordance or take a, uh, you know, a computer program or something and read all of the Scriptures that deal with music, that, that mention music. You'll read about 600. Right? Some people say, oh, the Bible doesn't say much about music. It does. You'll read about 600 verses. If you read all the, music, the verses, or at least it's you know, mentioned 600 times in the Word of God. So you'll do you know, a fairly good bit of reading. When you finish that, you cannot possibly escape the fact that the primary purpose of music is to honor, praise, and glorify God. Now, does that make a difference to what kind of music we accept? Sure it does. If we realize our music is to honor and glorify God, 
it's going to make a big difference. Why? Because if we're going to honor and glorify God with something, it has to be something that would honor a holy, righteous God. So number one, this gives us a foundation. Know this, knowing this purpose gives us a foundation of evaluation. It's not does what he likes versus what they like, or what they like versus what they like. No, it, is, it is, gives us a foundation of evaluation. Say, how, Brother Doyle? Because if it's going to honor and glorify God, it must agree with Scripture. Does that make sense? You know, if something is going to bring honor to God, it has to agree with His Word. If, it, if it's against the Bible, there's no way that it can honor God. No way at all. Second of all, not only does it give us a, a foundation of evaluation, but it gives us kind of a... Can I say it this way? It kind of gives us an out. You know, you don't have to be a know-it-all when it comes to music. Even in your, you know, in your home, you don't have to say, okay, we don't listen to this kind of music around here. And, and, you know, if you're a young person or whatever, ask, well, why not? You know, or the person that you work with says, why don't you listen to this kind of music? You don't have to say, well, just, I just don't like it, you know. No, you can say because it doesn't agree with Bible principle. So it gives us a foundation of evaluation, and it gives us a reason that we can give to folks. Because we need, as a Christian, to be able to stand up for what we believe, know what we believe, and be able to share that with others. So the purpose to honor, praise, and glorify God is a very, very important uh, purpose to realize. Second of all, the second purpose is to be a spiritual blessing to those that hear. Look in that second phrase, beginning with the word teaching. See it there? It says, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So our music is to teach and to admonish. Now, there's a couple of things. I don't have time to spend a lot of, because I want to get to this next next principle here. But we must realize music can affect people in different ways. Music, I mean, it's proven, it's even scientific. Music will affect us physically. It'll affect us emotionally. And obviously, spiritual music can affect us spiritually. And as a Christian, we need to make sure that it is, the music is affecting us in the right way. Paul, you know, here he's, he makes it specific, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. That's a spiritual blessing, isn't it? Teaching and admonishing one another. And so our music is for that purpose. And we need to be careful that the physical and the emotional do not get in the way of the spiritual. Can that happen? Sure it can. You know, sometimes the physical can be overwhelming. Sometimes the emotional can be overwhelming. I remember hearing a song a young man sang one day, and uh, it, was, it was very sad. I mean, it was one of those double hanky ones, you know. Uh, get, a, get a hanky out for both, both eyeballs because you're just, you're just you know, crying up, up a storm if you're just into that song. You know? But you get through the song and you say, well, what spiritually was that trying to say? And you had to admit, you know, not much. It was sad. But it really wasn't doing much spiritually. It can music can affect us physically. 
I remember uh, that I was in another service, and uh, a fellow got up and started singing a song, and immediately, you know, it was kind of like, amen, sing it, brother, amen, yes, you know, you vocally, uh, out, out loud, the amens and stuff, you say, what's wrong with that, brother? Don't, nothing is wrong with that if it's being said for, because of a spiritual blessing, but I, it's my contention that it wasn't a spiritual blessing. He was singing it in a way that moved people physically and, again, emotionally, but not necessarily spiritually. You say, well, how do you know, Brother Joe? Could you see hearts? No. But I could listen to the lyrics of the wor- of, and the words of the song and realize they didn't agree with the Bible. If the, if the preacher that had gotten up after this, this gentleman sang and and started preaching what he was singing, people would sit out and say, boy, I don't know where you're getting that. My Bible doesn't say that. But while he was singing it, what was happening? Amen. Sing it, brother. Yeah. What was happening? They were getting physically and emotionally stirred, but it wasn't a spiritual blessing. So we need to be careful that our music that we embrace, the music that we use in our lives, has fulfills fulfills the Bible purpose. It brings honor, it brings glory to God, and it is a spiritual blessing to us. And then take your Bibles if you would and turn back just just a little ways to Second Corinthians chapter six. And the second principle I'd like to look at tonight is the separation principle. Again, I'm wanting to give you some principles, some Bible principles that can help you as you consider what's the right kind of music, what's the wrong kind of music, why does our church not have a uh, rock band up here, you know, why don't we have Christian rock in our church, and, and why shouldn't I, you know, embrace that kind of music in my, in my personal life, and this is, this is what I call the separation principle. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, Starting with verse 14, Paul is sharing with us a a very uh, straightforward Bible principle. It is oft-taught and repeated in the Word of God. And it begins in verse 14 with a statement. It says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Well, we often hear that, don't we? Uh, We hear it in marriage, uh, you know, talking to young people, you know, don't be dating an unsaved a young person, because that can create an unequal yoke, and it always causes problems. We hear it sometimes in the area of business, etc., about that unequal yoke. Well, why not? Paul, why, why, why shouldn't we? Well, Paul asks a series of questions here. All that can be answered, all of them can be answered with the word none. And uh, he's, he's getting over his point. And then the last question is going to kind of be a gotcha question. You say, Brother Doyle, what is a gotcha question? Well, a gotcha question is when you ask that question and the person answers it, you kind of say in your mind, you might not say it out loud, but you, might, you say it in your mind, I've got you now. And so this is kind of what Paul, believe it or not, is doing it. Look, look, look at it. The second phrase of verse 14 says, For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? What's the answer? None, Right? 
You have righteousness on one side. You have unrighteousness on the other side. They don't fellowship together. They don't have, uh, you know, they're not similar. They're opposites. You have righteousness and you have unrighteousness. He goes on to say, and what communion hath light with darkness? None. They're opposites. And what concord hath Christ with Belial? None. Opposites again. Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? None. Now, here comes the gotcha question, all right? Paul says, and what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? And when we shout out at the top of our voices, Paul, none. He says, I've got you now, because look at the next phrase. He says, for ye are the temple of the living God. He just asks us, he just says, and what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? And when we say none, he says, what ye are the temple of the living God, as God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they should be my people. Wherefore, because of this, you say, why, why is he giving us this next statement? Because light is different from darkness. Because righteousness is different from unrighteousness. Because Christ is different from Belial. Because the temple of God is the opposite of, of idols. He says, wherefore, come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord. And touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. So here's the very clearly taught principle in the Word of God of separation. Separation from what? From the world. Why do I need to be different from the world as a Christian? You know, sometimes people ask that. Why should I uh, look different? Why should I act different? Well, because we are different. <laughs> you know, because light is different from darkness. Because righteousness is different from my unrighteousness. How different can you be than a child of the king when we trust Christ as our Savior? We belong to the heavenly kingdom and, and the child of darkness, a child of Satan. How different can you be? So should a Christian be different from the world? Obviously. And yes, we could spend the whole night here, but I, but I think Paul play, puts it very plainly. Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate. But what have Christian musicians tried to do in the last 20 or 30 years? They say, Brother Doyle, what we're going to do is we're going to get some Christian words, or we're going to reach over here and get some of the world's music, and we're going to bring it together, and it's going to be a great thing. No, it's not going to be a great thing. Why, Brother Doyle? Because you don't like it? No. It flies in the face of Bible principle. Nowhere in the Bible are you going to see God saying, let's get worldliness and godliness and try to somehow get them together, and it's going to be all right. It never is all right. And it's taught clearly and repeatedly through the Bible. But you have things like today that they call gospel rock. Now, when you think of the term gospel rock, does this even make much sense? It, it really doesn't. You know, gospel rock or Christian rock, it's kind of like saying, hey, after church tonight, let's go buy whatever and let's get us some Christian beer, okay? Or get us some Christian whiskey. You know, because you say, Brother Doyle, you, you can't, you don't have Christian whiskey. The Bible talks, that, you know, says you shouldn't drink. It's an abomination. It's bad. Uh, you can't have Christian whiskey. Or, or maybe say like this, say, oh, let's, let's have a, uh, after service tonight, let's have a Christian bank robbery, okay? We'll go bump off a bank. We'll use the money for Christian purposes. We'll, 
we'll support missionaries, you know. We'll uh, give the pastor a raise. We'll do something with this, with this, uh, you know, with this money that we're going to get from the Christian bank robbery. Well, how ludicrous can you get? You don't have a Christian bank robbery. You've got one thing that's sin and one thing that's supposed to be, you know, you're saying it's Christian? No, you don't have Christian immorality. You don't have Christian bank robberies. You don't have Christian beer, Christian drinking. But neither do you have Christian rock. Who claims any goodness for rock? Rock is of the world. And rock, I mean, even if you stop and think about it a minute, who, who tries to tell us that, you know, that, that there's such a thing as a Christian rock? It's not a rock musician. Did you know that? If you went to a rock musician and you said, now, now here's, here's what I want you to, want you to know, because this is what they try to tell us, people that say, oh, Christian rock is fine. You know? Here's what they try to tell us. Uh, and uh, you, you go to the, the rock musician and say, you know, did you know that your music doesn't really matter, that music is amoral, and so rock music, I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't really, do you know they would laugh in your face? They know their music matters. In fact, there was a, a music, music, rock musician once who said, and I quote, rock is about attitude and rebellion. That's a rock music. That's not a preacher saying that. That's the rock musician saying that. He said, that's what rock music is all about. And they're talking about the music. There was another uh, another uh, rock musician that said um, that, that rock is, I won't use the word he used, but it, to put it politely, rock is immorality. So one says rock is rebellion. The other says rock is immorality. So we're going to say, oh, we're going to have some Christian immorality. We're going to have some Christian, you know, uh, we're going to have some uh, Christian rebellion because we're going to bring it together. No, it doesn't even make sense. It doesn't make any sense logically that you would have Christian rebellion. And yet there are people that say, oh, yeah, that's okay. How do they get around this type of thinking, logical thinking? Well, here's the way they do it. As we approached that rock musician a minute ago, remember, uh, we tried to persuade him that his music doesn't, doesn't matter. That's what they'll say to you. They say, don't you know, Brother Doyle? Bless your heart. And that's just a uh, their way of saying, you are as dumb as a box of rocks, you know. And so they said, bless your heart, Brother Doyle. Don't you realize that the music doesn't matter? It's just the words that count. You know, the music can be anything. It can be rock. It can be grunge. It can be whatever it is. It doesn't matter as long as the words are right. Well, is that correct? No, it's not. Does the music matter? Yes, it does. It matters a lot. And uh, we're going to take just a few few minutes. Our time is starting to ease down there. And uh, we'll go through the rest of it as quickly as we can, all right? But does, the, but does the music matter? Yes, it does. One reason the music matters is because we have a holy God. We have a righteous holy God. And remember, we started out with the purpose principle. And the purpose of sacred music, the primary purpose, is to bring honor, glory, and praise to God. He's a holy God. He is a righteous God. How could we think that anything that is from the world could bring honor, glory, or praise to him? It won't. You know, can we imagine God 
a holy, I mean, we, we really can't even wrap our minds around how holy God is, his perfection. You know, as, as a person on this earth, everything is imperfect. Everything has its flaws. And so it's hard for us to even grasp the concept of a perfectly holy God. But if we've tried, you know, like Isaiah, who, who's, who's had the vision, and uh, they, were, they were crying, holy, holy, holy. And uh, Isaiah said, woe is me. So just for a moment, try to visualize the holiness of God. And then try to visualize, here's someone that says they're trying to praise God, but it sounds like the beer joint down the street. Do you think this God is going to say, oh, the words are okay, so I guess it's okay? No. These people, they say, well, Brother Doyle, what you don't understand is the, the music doesn't matter. And I, I gave this an illust- illustration uh, several years ago here, but let me just give it again because it is a wonderful illustration, all right? It's very clear. They say, well, things like, Brother Doyle, is that a good note or a bad note? Is it a holy note or an unholy note? Well, it's just a note. They say, well, see, music is just amoral. It's just notes. You just take notes and put them together, and they become a song. It's not good. It's not bad. It's just amoral. Well, wait, wait, wait a minute. That can sound good when we first hear it, but when we begin to think through it, it's, it's, it's no argument at all. Suppose we think of the alphabet. This is what I always give. Suppose we think of the alphabet. And we say, well, is that T a good T or a bad T? It's just a T, right? We could think of any letter in the alphabet and in and of itself, by itself, is neither good nor bad. It's not holy. It's not unholy. It's not righteous. It's not unrighteous. It's just our moral by itself. So if we take their logic about music and about notes... And they say, well, see, music is just all moral. It's just notes that are put together. So as we think about the, the, the alphabet in that way, so as I say, okay, letters are all moral, letters are neutral, okay? Then all literature is neutral. All literature is okay. It doesn't matter, you know. Does it matter? Yes, it does. You can put letters together in a way that would honor God, but you can also put letters together in a way that would dishonor God. Same way with notes. You can put notes together in a way that would honor God, but you can put them together in a way that would become sensual, become fleshly and worldly, and dishonor God. Does the music matter? Yes, it does, because of the righteousness of God. The music matters because of the purpose of separation. And we need to make sure that we remember that and we're thinking about what kind of music we accept in our lives. You know, sometimes people say, well, you know, do the, you know, does the music, does, does the music really matter, Brother Doyle? Yes. Another reason, let me just give this to you quickly before we move on to one last thing. But another reason why it matters so greatly is because it, it doesn't matter just what you say. It matters how you say it. You know, you can say, come up to somebody and say, hey, thanks a lot. That means one thing. If 
you come up to the same person, say the exact same words, but say it like this. Hey, thanks a lot. Mean the same thing? No. You can look at a baby in the mother's arms and say, my, that's a beautiful baby. Or you can say, my, that's a beautiful baby. What's the difference? It's the way you're saying it. It's your voice inflection. And you know, when you have a song that has, yes, maybe some religious words that are fine, but you put it with worldly music, that music is going to distort and destroy that message. You say, well, even, even godly words? Suppose I say, our God is a great God. He is, isn't he? But I could say it like this. <laughs> our God is a great God. See how little it takes to make that a blasphemous, blasphemous statement? Does the music matter? Yes, it does, because it interprets those words. It, it, the music matters because of the righteousness and holiness of God. The music matters because we are commanded to be separated from the world, not to embrace the world, but to be separated from the world. Our music in this church should be different than the world's music. Our music that we listen to on whatever device we listen to should be different than the world's music. It should bring honor and glory to God, and the music should work together with the words to bring honor and glory to him. I often say the music has the ability to support, to distort, or destroy that message. Now, obviously, you want it to support the message, not distort and destroy. Quickly, Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7. One last thought here. We won't spend much time on this. This is what I call the enjoyment principle. We've looked at the purpose principle. We've looked at the separation principle. And now the enjoyment principle. I don't know how many people I've heard say things like, well, Brother Doyle, I just enjoy that kind of music. After a service uh, one night, a young lady came up to me and she said, Brother Doyle, he said, she said, this is the kind of music I like and it just moves me. Well, what is she talking about? She's talking about a physical, emotional response to it and that's, that's why she liked it, right? And they often say, I just happen to enjoy that kind of music. Well, look at Romans chapter 7, verse 18. Paul is writing again. He says, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For the will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. For the good that I would, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. Now, if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. Now, this can almost sound a little bit confusing here, uh, you know, the way Paul is, is writing this. But what Paul is describing is the, our battle with the flesh. Do we all have a battle with the flesh? Yes. If you don't, you better check up. Because, you know, when you trust Christ as your Savior, you have the new me. You're a new creature in Christ Jesus, Second Corinthians tells us in, in chapter 5. But you also have this old flesh. And it sets up a battle that is always there. And Paul said, you know, the things I know I should be doing, those are the things I find myself not doing. The things I know I should not be doing, those are the things I find myself doing. Now, does that describe our lives or does it describe our lives? You know, the things we know that we should be doing, prayer, 
witnessing, uh, faithful church attendance, you know, all of those things that we know we should be doing seem like those are the struggles sometimes to do. It's a struggle to get regular in our, in our Bible reading. It's a struggle to come regularly to visitation. It's a struggle sometimes to do the things that are right. And then on the other hand, it's pretty easy to flare up at our wife, isn't it? It's pretty easy to flare up with somebody else. It's pretty easy to say something wrong. It's pretty easy to think something wrong. Why? Because that battle with the flesh is going to go on uh, forever until we see Christ. I shouldn't have used the word forever because that's too long, isn't it? But I meant forever down here. When we get to heaven, I'll be behind us, won't it? That's going to be one of the great things about heaven. The battle with the flesh is over. The victory is won. But when people say, I just like that kind of music, is that a very scriptural thing to say? No. Because our flesh is going to like the wrong things a hundred times out of a hundred. That's just the way it is. Our flesh, you say, Brother Doyle, could you enjoy Christian rock? In my flesh, I could. But anytime I see it, it grieves my spirit. You know that feeling, don't you? Could, could I listen to regular rock music and enjoy it? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I almost said yes, but I'm not so sure about it. A lot of that is not even good music, you know. But could I listen to some of the world's music, perhaps, you know, but in my flesh? But what do we have to say? We have to say to our flesh, no. We have to say, I, I'm going to... Uh, Paul said in one time, I, I, I place my body under, I put the flesh under, I hold it down, I look like I'm strangling it, you know. I don't give way to the flesh, but instead I give way to the spirit. And when it comes to this idea of music, what we need to do is get the wrong kind out of our lives, embrace the right kind, and let, let God bless us through it. Now, does, you know, does your enjoyer just change automatically overnight? Not always. You know, I've had people tell me, you know, when I got saved, the rock music was one of the hardest things for me to change. You know, he got rid of my cussing, got rid of my, my smoking and things like that, but the rock music was hard to get out of. So sometimes it might not change overnight, but is it right to get it out? Yes, it is. Do you know your enjoyer can change? You really can really can't. When I was a kid, I hated cottage cheese, okay? I could not stand cottage cheese. You know, it's one of those things that you just, ah, just can't, you can't get it down, you know? But my mother was kind of devious, and um, she found a way. And the way was she would serve cottage cheese in the same meal that she served pineapple slices. Now, this was back in the 50s. You know, I'm 69. I was born in 52, and so this was back in the late 50s when I was just a young, young, young whippersnapper. And uh, they, the, the people that canned the, the pineapple slices, they'd never heard of light syrup back then. It was just, I mean, it was sweet. It probably had as much sugar in there as it did pineapple, you know. It was just this heavy, sweet syrup, you know. And I loved those pineapples. I just loved them. And so when mom would serve pineapple and serve, serve cottage cheese, uh, you know, I was happy for the pineapple. I, that was great. Now, the cottage cheese, oh, no, 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 no. You know, pineapple, I would get me a slice of pineapple. I'd eat that down, and I'd say, can I have another slice of pineapple? Here's where it got devious. Mom would say, yes, 
as long as you eat some cottage cheese first. All right. How about one curd, Mom? You know, can I can I just maybe just one curd of cottage? No, 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 no. You got to have a sensible helping of cottage cheese, and I'll let you have another slice of pineapple. Well, this abuse went on for years, you know. <laughs> but you know what? You're way ahead of me, aren't you? Before too long, I got where I love cottage cheese. I can eat it on the pineapple now, you know, and just love it. I can eat it on spaghetti. I can eat it on almost anything. And don't look at me too bad because what do you do with ranch dressing? Doesn't ranch dressing taste good with anything? You know, it's kind of like cottage cheese. You know, just put it on anything and it, and it tastes better. <laughs> what happened? My enjoyer changed. And the same thing can happen with our music. Get the wrong kind of music out. Get the right kind of music in and say, Dear God, help me to learn to enjoy this kind of music. What kind of music? The kind of music that would please a righteous, holy God. The kind of music that is separated from the world. The kind of music that will be a testimony before other people. I love the Lord. I'm separated from the world. And what I sing and what I do, I want to praise, honor, and glorify a holy, righteous God. And you know what will happen? To get the right things in our lives. It always helps us to do right. It helps us win that battle with the flesh. If I'm ever talking to a young person that says, you know, I'm really battling the flesh. I'm, I'm just falling, you know, I, I'm, I just fall into temptation and I fall into sin. It's just hard. One of the questions I ask them, what kind of music are you listening to? Why? Because worldliness is going to lead to worldliness. And we listen to the wrong thing, it's going to hurt. Our, our spiritual growth. It's going to hurt our spiritual lives. Our spiritual lives depend on so much on what we put in. Do you know that? There's an old illustration. You've probably heard the illustration before about the farmer that had two dogs. And uh, he was talking to his neighbor over the backyard fence one day. And uh, he said, you know, you wouldn't believe these, these two dogs of mine. They just fight all the time. You know, it just seems like they're always at it. You know? And uh, the neighbor, neighbor says, well, which one wins? And the old farmer said, the one I feed the most. Makes sense, doesn't it? The one that's healthy and strong, he's going to win that fight, isn't he? And as a Christian, what's going to win? Is our spirit going to win or is the flesh going to win? the one that we feed the most. And what does worldly music feed? No matter if it's you trying to mix it with good words or what, worldly music is going to feed that flesh a hundred times out of a hundred. And so let's pray that God would give us wisdom. And I hope, you know, I, I didn't teach this or preach this tonight to try to get on to anybody. As far as I know, everybody in here has great musical choices and uh, is, is very set about that because you're in a church that, that believes in having a good uh, music. <clears throat> and if they didn't, I'd know who to call, you know. Uh, uh, but uh, I'm, not, I'm not trying to get on to you, but I hope that it gives us some reason. You know, and I've had people say after a message similar to this or this message, you know, Brother Joel, that's a help as people come to me and he say, why don't you listen to this kind of music? Or why, why don't your church have this kind of music? It's good to be able to show them Bible principle that helps us understand this. And I trust 
that it has been a help. Let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the word of God. We're thankful for the privilege that you've given us tonight to be here and just to look for a while in the word. We pray that you would help this to be a blessing, an encouragement, uh, and perhaps even a challenge to some of us. May we examine the music that we embrace for our lives and make sure that it truly is according to Bible principle, not just something that we enjoy, not just something that makes us feel good, but something that truly brings honor and glory to your name and is separated from the world. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right.